Welcome to Wellbeing and Career Web Podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with a mother of three adult children. Juliana is a mom CEO and a life and career coach. She has moved her family 13 times across four continents. How a mother took her first step on the moon draws on her personal experience as a professional career coach, helping clients document her own powerful advice. You can find her scanning travel blogs and posts for her next family adventure or giggling with her girlfriends about her latest loss and translation moment. She calls it Yar Talk because most of the greatest mom solutions happen while making the puppy poop at 5am, drinking coffee with her girlfriend neighbour in the front yard. Today we'll be chatting about journey of an expat mum. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Julianne Bush. How are you getting on today, Julianne? I'm doing quite well, thank you. Okay, let's get this started. So where are you right now on planet Earth? I am in Sarasota, Florida right now. Okay, where's no make it very jealous now. So what's the temperature like? Uh, well, actually, it's lovely today. We're kind of like at the 79 degrees, which is very unusual for June in Florida. Um, but we've got the sunshine, we've got the palm trees, you know, so it's really nice here. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. It's not too hot yet. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot now, Julianne. So the introduction I gave, it, doesn't, it gives a little bit of information about you. So I want to know, where is the most favorite place you've lived? on planet earth oh you're putting me you are putting me on the spot i will say where i was at the time of living was where i needed to be that's a very diplomatic answer (laughs) (laughs) i did not i did not need uh to pick a favorite but at the time it was a wonderful place to live because i needed it like for example when i lived in ireland i needed to slow down a little bit and so to the, the fact that i could bike all the way across the city of dublin um, okay <laughs> was lovely um because i had been living in tokyo japan and, uh, prior to that and it was crazy and a lot of cement and so i needed the green and the getting out and walking on the beach and it was just a different time of life and it slowed me down and I was quite grateful to Ireland for the opportunity to just kind of stop and enjoy. <laughs> and where, where did you live in Dublin? I or did actually, you live in Dublin, I, did you? I did, I did live in Dublin, but I lived in Sandy Mount. So I'm going to hear that. Oh, <laughs> that's very posh. <laughs> very posh, very posh. So um, I, I did not know that at the time. And yes, our rent was astronomical, but um, right. <laughs> my daughter was in school. And so that was halfway between her school and my husband's work. So it was a happy medium for us because I, I, in Tokyo, my daughter had to take a bus for about an hour to get to school. And so for her, I needed to get that happy medium. So I paid a little bit more in rent, but it was lovely. I will say that. Right. So we'll have to put subtitles up because you're so posh. I'm not posh. I'm not posh, but I got suckered into a posh uh, apartment living while as an expat there. (laughs) Oh, right. And how did you find, I mean, the shift from Tokyo, for example, I know you're, you're from the States originally, but the how did you find culturally living in Ireland compared because I mean I've been to Tokyo myself as well and uh-huh. it's very different you know very very different did you well, find because you're you're in the you're the posh end of Dublin I know I keep saying this but it's it's a very um you can walk around and kind of feel nice and safe and there's nice co- coffee shops and cafes and people smile and stuff like that but how did you find <laughs> how, how did you find 
Um, because I'm from the north side of Dublin, I'm from Malahide, but yes, ge- yes, generally, um, it's yeah, we always say that you know, people in Sandy Mount or that, that side of the city are, um, yeah. you know, different. But how did you find it? I mean, how did you find the transition from Tokyo to, to Ireland? I have to say, it was fantastic because my mother is. Irish and I come from the Coleman lineage and um, I was stifled in my vocabulary in Japan so I could not get all the words out that I needed to so the Irish people were so kind to (laughs) talk to me and get my thousand words out in a day that I needed to get out Um, so I I made up for lost time that I had been living in a country where I had limited language skills. So I do have to say that every single person, whether I was in Dalkey or Malahide or wherever. Oh my word, name dropping. (laughs) (laughs) um, That um, everybody would stop and have a chat or, you know, sit with me in a pub and have a chat or um, the food is actually quite amazing in Ireland. Um, there's this like farm to table. And my mom said, yeah, that was always the way we grew up was farm to table. There's that was not made up like the United States. So, <laughs> um, so amazing food. So I, I really enjoyed the food and drink and discussion in Ireland. And, and did you, when you were in Dorky on your little travels, did you meet Matt Damon that time when during lockdown when he was in? I did not. Around? I oh, did not. No, but you have these lovely two twins that live in, oh, I, the name is just slipping out of my head, that do do all this vegetarian food. And I uh, would go there and eat the sweets, but I couldn't, I needed a little meat or a little something in my food. So, <laughs> uh, I can't remember their name, but anyway, yes, I, I went around I, and there was, um, uh, always good fish and chips or oh, yes. know, oysters or so. Yeah. I, so I'm going to put you on the spot, Denzel. So what's the worst place you've ever lived in? Before we get into oh. your background and everything else, you can just just go ahead. Just say it really quickly. <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> on the planet. Um, it doesn't have to be in Ireland. <laughs> not because I don't adore it, but um, Los Angeles is really tough because you need a car. There's You're always in traffic. Um, so Los, Los Angeles, California was a tough place to be for a long time, I think, because it's just, it's busy. It's very busy. <laughs> is it just a lifestyle is busy in general or the traffic or is just, everything's just like, you're go, always go, just, go. you're sitting in traffic and it's go, go, go all the time. And, um, I was a, a girl that was born in Fort Rucker, Alabama. So a little bit of a Southern uh, military brat and (laughs) you know my father moved me around quite a bit and I love California because you can jaunt from the mountains to the sea in no time at all but um to sit in your car (laughs) for a long time that is not a joy whereas in Tokyo there's the mass of people and yet the uh transportation system works like boom 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 if they say 101 and you're there one and two you've missed it so um completely different um lifestyle i just i i don't like driving and driving and driving and driving sitting in traffic (laughs) did did you ever did you ever live near fighter town san diego where the uh the the top gun school is top gun yeah i did actually mission i'm I grew up in Del Cerro. Um, my father was in the Navy. So we lived in Del Cerro, which is across from San Diego State in about, I don't know, 30 minutes from where that cafe where he played the piano. So. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. I'm a big, I'm a yeah. big Maverick and Tom Cruise fan, I have to say. Yeah. So I think have I, you seen this? 
Oh, I've seen it four times. Oh, wow. The second yes. one. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Big, big I'm fan. I'm going Sunday. You're ahead of me. It's, <laughs> it's amazing, I have oh, to say. wonderful. I'm uh, a big Tom Cruise fan, but the movie itself is just, it's, it's a fascinating film and a lot of emotion, a lot of excitement. So go to see it in IMAX if you can. Okay. I know this is sidetracking from the podcast, but I know I'm promoting, okay. I'm promoting Paramount <laughs> Studios, Top Gun at the moment, Tom Cruise. But, uh, generally, it's, it's an amazing, amazing film. So, okay, let's move on. I gave a brief introduction about your background. So can you let our listeners know more about yourself and all the exciting that you've had in your life so far? Well, I got married and I married my husband. He was a first generation American from Barcelona, Spain, and I moved after graduate school, we went to an international school and we knew that we would be living abroad. I did not know in 28 years of marriage, I would be moving 13 times in that wow, span. Okay. Um, we, in that process, we had three children and they went to several schools. So we lived on four continents and enjoyed every moment. Again, I learned in every country that I was living in and I um, did various jobs all over, depending on where we were and what type of work I could get and do. Um, I have a PhD in management. And then recently I tried to kind of figure out what I wanted to be when I grow up and I recalibrated and now I'm a life and career coach. And in that process, I wrote a book to help um, parents, especially mothers, document their how should I say it, document their intentions for motherhood. Um, it coincides with my coaching practice is to be more intentional. Cool. So did you find it then? I mean, you mentioned there 13 times. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember all the 13 places you've lived in? I mean, I, I do, but it, do. you know, it, it started 28 years ago. So <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Did you find it then difficult making friends as, I mean, in today's world, can I call you an expat wife? Is that wrong yes, of me to say can. that? No, you can. I'm, right. I'm fine with that label. Is, is, there, is there a new name for it? Is there? Is I, it... I have no idea. I'm quite proud of my mothering role and expat wife role. Um, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll take it. I'm, I'm thrilled. So did you find um, it difficult making friends as an expat? I mean, did you, especially in the back of your mind, if you were thinking, you know, I might be out of here in a year or two years. I can't really get attached to my next door neighbors or my, my, my kids can't get attached to my husband. I mean, how does that work? Um, yes, there are things that are quite difficult when you arrive and you don't speak the language or you're not used to the customs. Or, you know, when we moved to Japan, for example, the portion sizes of food was quite smaller and, you know, your stomach starts to adapt a little bit. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I had some difficulties. I'm not going to lie in that respect, but it is all about how you position yourself to why you're there. I, I was, or should I say, my husband and I were given the opportunity to go somewhere new and live there and soak up culture and learn about the people and have great friends. So I always went into those situations with positivity because I was there to learn. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. So every place that I went, I got more out of it than I gave to it. Right. And what, what about then? Um your your kids so say for example I mean how did they adapt moving from from place to place I mean how did that work 
well, my husband would always invite us to dinner or lunch and you would know that he says, oh, I have this great opportunity. So that's how all of these moves would start. Right. My husband would give us the heads up and they're like, oh, and you realize wherever you were going to lunch or dinner kind of had a theme. So <laughs> <laughs> um, we caught on after like the fourth or fifth. And we're like, oh, where are we going next? Um, my oldest two are a boy girl twin. And, and then my youngest is a um, single girl. And I think it propelled us to be a tighter knit family. So yes, it was difficult. But at the same time, my children liked the adventure. I'd say after kind of fifth grade and up, um, they, they knew the drill. And I said, you can make this the best year of your life or the worst year, your decision. You know, right. And we will help you the best we can. Cause sometimes, you know, they were ahead in mass or behind in mass and they needed a little tutoring or so it was my job as an expat wife to kind of fill in the gaps of where they needed some extra help or, um, you know, launching, I would always put out on Facebook, Hey, expat community, you know, we're moving here, know anybody. And I would do the pre-work. So I would contact mothers that are already in that country and say, Hey, what do you wear to school? You know, what's important there. Right. I, I would interview people before I got to that country and get <laughs> as much knowledge as I possibly could to help them and help myself um, to succeed. Did you find as well that the education was slightly different depending on where you are, where you were. So was it like a higher standard in one place or lower standards? Uh, absolutely very, very different all over the world. And, you know, you have your American systems, your Japanese systems, your IB programs, your um, advanced placement programs, and, and you want your kids to be given the possibility of higher education of going to college or university. So it adapted. My kids went to British schools, they went to American schools, they went to the local schools. So it just depended on where we were, and it was the best fit for my children. And that's what I stayed grounded to. And I also never moved them in the middle of the year. That was a, ple um, a pledge that I gave to my kids. If my husband had to go, I would stay behind with them and finish a school year. And then we would move at the end or the beginning of a school year. So right. those were kind of my rules of engagement for them. So, so let's put your husband on the spot right now. So how much notice would he give you? I mean, it wouldn't be a case if he just come in. I know you mentioned there that you kind of got the feeling of, oh, okay, we're, we're, we're moving again. We're, we're, we're going to a different place. So are we talking about days, weeks, hours? Um, no, no, no. Yeah, you, would get, you would get a couple of weeks or you would get a kind of possibility. I mean, one time we were thought we were moving to Paris, France, and he came home the next day and said, Oh, did I say Paris, France? I meant Texas. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and we had already way. started. <laughs> I mean, like we had already started taking some French lessons because I said, Oh, I don't know French. And so, you know, it that happened and stuff happens. And so we would just re pivot and try to figure out the best way to adapt to whatever the opportunity was. But now, my kids are more resilient and they love to travel more and more adventurous than I was even because I think they made the globe kind of smaller. Right. And so what about then? So the world of organization seemed to be on your head. So how did you cope mentally then with all these changes and shifting from country to country with the constant as moving? I, as I got older, I got smarter. 
okay. which <laughs> it took a little while. Um, in the beginning, all of our stuff, our junk would come with us. And I was fortunate that our companies that my husband worked for was um, open to moving our household. Um, and then the last several moves, I just moved clothing and I would rent, like when we lived in Ireland, I just rented a home that already had furniture and we would come with our bags and our um, favorite items and move in kind of like the Airbnb experience. And it was much more enjoyable when I didn't have to stress about, you know, my dresser drawers got banged up or broken in a move. Um, and then logistics wise, I am a type A personality. I told you my father was a Navy captain. So I grew up with chip shop, you know, <laughs> discipline. Yeah. Uh, the discipline. And so for me, you know, I had a home inventory. I had, I had the lessons of moving down pat. And, you know, my kids say to me now, you're always cleaning things out. You're always getting rid of things. We don't have our memories, you know? And, and so I think. <laughs> Um, my closets are really clean and I, people fear if they, they need help cleaning out closets. I'm like, all right, I'm pretty ruthless. I've just, things didn't matter to me. It was the memories that I was making, um, which was really important to us the more and more. So I, I chose to invest more in the experiences of our move. Did, did you ever have that scream moment where you just wanted to go into a room on your own and go, ah, no, not again. I mean, did you ever have... Did, did, yeah. did the world seem to be collapsing kind of on you momentarily and you just sort of take a deep breath and thought okay let's we can work this out we've, we've done this before and yeah well I think Asia was daunting to me and we moved to, to Japan and um, it was right after the earthquake and the tsunami oh, right. and yeah um, that was probably the hardest one because other kids were telling my kids, well, you're going to have radiation and, you know, you're going to be oh, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have problems with radiation. And, and zombies. They would, and, yeah. oh, yes. And they would tell my kids things that were not true. Um, and that forced me to become a learner. And I dug in and I learned as much as I could. And the U.S. Embassy was wonderful. They would give us documents about chicken and where it was raised and et cetera, et cetera. And I became obsessive with it. And then after a while you realize, okay, you can control what you can control. And we dug in in a different way. I said, okay, we're scared of this. This is something that is not the norm for us of, of a tsunami. So I uh, am a champion of volunteering. So I would go with my children and we would go up and we would volunteer. They had opportunities to help wash photographs so that people could hang them up and get back their photograph, family photographs that were in the tsunami. And um, my daughter volunteered with the BBC kind of equivalent, and nice. she did the English version of a child's voice um, of what that was in English. So it was a Japanese person that they translated, and then she read it. So that, oh, wow. that yeah, so we kind of jumped in. My, my rule uh, was to jump into the community and try to understand as much as we could. And I think that made moving and going to a country more of an adventure. Right. Would you do anything different if you look back now at everything you've done, <laughs> especially yes. for somebody who might be now having to pick up everything and move because was it, is it a great resignation at the moment? People are moving jobs and moving countries. They're kind of changing careers and stuff like that. So, so pretty much a two-parter question. Looking back, would you do anything different? And then what advice would you have for somebody now 
who may be making the big move that has a situation like you where you have the husband, the twins, and the singleton, we'll say to say, for, for example, yeah. and you're packing it all up and off you go. What would you say? I would say if that country has a language that is not your own, dig in and learn as much as you can of the language and get out. Don't sit on your apps at home and try to make it perfect. Get out in markets, get out in social situations and practice and try to engage because they will encourage you. Every country encourages you to learn that language and help you and show you things and have you experience things. So I was not very good at learning languages and I should have just learned the basics. So focus on that. That's what I would say, first of all, is what I regret. I could have had a lot more taxi languages in my pocket. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then what advice would I give you? I would say um, treat every country like you're a guest. Right. And enjoy what they have to offer you. Don't criticize it. Don't say it's not like this at home. If you can go into something foreign and you have signed up for this opportunity, you want to do the expat life, um, go there with a curiosity to learn and to enjoy what they have to offer. It may not be like the bread back home. It may not be like the eggs you eat at home. It may not be the you know, parties or festivals or holidays that you experience, but go there to learn about them so that you understand it and have curiosity. What about then your family members? Because I was, I was an expat myself and um, the, how would you say at the time, the mother-in-law, it's kind of, you're trying to keep everybody happy in the surrounding family because they want to see the kids. They want to see you. They want to see, they want to see, they want to be part of your life. I mean, how did your family and your husband's family cope with that? Especially with you being away a lot. Well, we had a unique situation. My husband is uh, a foreigner, shall I say, a foreigner to the United States. He was first generation American. His parents, his mother was from Mexico and his father was from Spain. Um, And she was originally Spanish and then they moved together to start medical school in the United States. Um, And so they were expats in the United States. So my father's family understood it quite well. And my parents being in the Navy traveled extensively China. Um, My father, you know, gave me his two cents when I told him I was moving to Japan. He's like, Oh, you have to do Mount Fuji and et cetera, et cetera. Um, (laughs) I would say, um, create time with your family. So have that summer vacation pre-planned and have it set up um, so that they know that that's a given every summer. Um, That's what saved me. I would say goodbye to my husband. Unfortunately, he would be sad because his family would exit and we would head to the States and then he would try to join us. But sometimes that wasn't possible. And then, um, yes, there was a lot of negative comments from the family. I mean, I've moved to Mexico City and I remember one of my family members saying, oh, you know, they they chop off people's heads and hang them from the from the um, bridges. And, you know, so you're starting to get scared about what's happening in Mexico. And I I never saw any of that. Uh, Thank goodness. If if it does happen, I don't (laughs) want to go into a narcos. Yeah, I don't want to go into a narcos show Netflix for you. But um, (laughs) um, 
you know, I process that and I have conversations about it and I sit down and communicate with my family and say, this is an opportunity for us. Would you like to come and visit us? I would love to show you around. And surprisingly, once they came and were a part of our lives abroad or in that location, more and more started to come visit us because they were curious. Um, And then they understood it. Were they always happy? No. I mean, I would have one family member that wouldn't talk to me for a couple of months and then boom, they're back talking to me because I moved away from them. So yes, it, it, it was not easy, but you just have to manage what's best for you and your kids at that time. And it's not always going to be the popular answer, I think. No, but you have to do, especially if, you're, if we all need to work, we all need to make money. And if mm-hmm. um, if you got to go find work, you got to you got to find work. I mean, did they have any favorite place that if they came out to visit that you were at, was there a favorite place that they like you being? You're going to call me like cheeky right now, but all of them wanted to come to Ireland because no. it was, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's something about uh, Americans that love to come to Ireland. So, you know, we, we, and especially that you don't have to go through immigration, that Dublin little hop to hop, you know, it's yes. a great thing. So I had a lot of family come visit me in Ireland. Um, not so much, we lived in Mexico twice, not so much in Mexico because there was a fear because we had, um, not normal, we had bodyguards. And so that scared some of them um, because of the situation. Um, um, I, I, I go back and forth on this one a little bit is, um, they love to visit us, but it just depended. And, you know, Asia was very, very far away, uh, yet Europe we got to see a lot of family and, and come see us. So it just depended on the distance, I think. Right. How did you then cope with the weather of Ireland, for example, especially yeah. during the winters? I mean, you're in nice, you're in kind of Florida now. Come on. I, mean, <laughs> well, I, w- I was a cheat. I was a cheat because we survived, I think, two winters in Ireland. And I turned to my husband and I said, I need some sunshine in February. So that is why we bought the place in Florida. And we have right. this as one of the homes that okay. we get to visit. So I'm a cheater <laughs> a little bit. So, um, <laughs> but uh, his family's from Spain. So if I got at the need of a little bit of, you know, uh, sunshine on my skin, I would pop down to Barcelona and go, go to Calais and see his cousins. And so I, I had some outs when I needed it, but you know, I, I do have to say there's something also about the warmth of a fire too. Like that wasn't something I grew up with. And so I, I did enjoy it the first and then kind of halfway through the second year, and then by the third year, they ripped us out and I moved to another place. So I can't speak of any bad things. Well, <laughs> <Right. laughs> I mean, would you think, would you say to yourself, you're living the dream? Because you see all this stuff on social media. And to be honest with you, when I look on, I'm not going to name the platforms, but you know, they're selfie this and selfie that. And they're in the speeches and they're, this, they're pretending that they're having a wonderful time. And they're in their bikinis and they're six pack. You know, this, yeah. but I mean, looking back at your own life, would you say you, you, you've lived a dream? I mean, been to all these places that a lot of people probably dream of going and you've lived in them. Um, I would say, yes, I would say it, it was a very privileged, very, um, I, I was grateful for every moment of it because there was no way. I would have been able to afford or do the things that I had done if it weren't for the occupation of my husband. Um, so 
knowing that I felt, I felt that it was my duty to kind of bring back the best parts of everywhere and lessen the things that here in the United States, people thought I'm like, that's not true. Or that's, you know, so I thought it was my duty to well represent the places that graced me with the privilege of living in their country. And I think it, if everybody kind of did that when they traveled, like, Hey, this is the greatest part. Everything is not going to be perfect when you go to a country. I mean, getting your electric bill may be difficult for you or paying uh, or getting a cell phone. I mean, those, those kind of basic things that we do very quickly um, in Ireland or the United States just don't happen sometimes in other countries. It takes a while. Um, So I came back to the United States with more appreciation to say, wow, how great we have it. And these are the things. So I, I think it, it spun its head on me. So I was grateful and I knew I was privileged, but I wouldn't have had all this opportunity. So yes, I was. <laughs> I living the dream. Living the dream. So do, do you have a favorite memory? Is there anything that st- stands out right now that you would say, wow? Because I, I always remember myself, I was in, um, I love Singapore and there's always one or two places I've always been that it always made me very happy when I was there. And I always cherish that having that opportunity to be there at that point in, in time in my life. Do you ever have anything like that where you, you kind of get that little goosebump? You might look at the window. I'm looking at your photograph here, which is I'm assuming is a screenshot because it looks too it nice. To yeah, it is a screenshot. <laughs> but um, do you ever have any memories that you kind of say, oh, God, yeah, I you know, there was wonderful and I wish I could go there right now. And yeah, um, I would say for me, um, I, I just have this vivid memory of living in, I, I keep talking about Japan, living in Japan was probably one of our most difficult moves, just because I had no clue how to speak Japanese. And, you know, knowing their alphabet was enormous. So a little squiggly could go the opposite direction. It means something completely different. And at that time, the Olympics was, was not there. They were just starting signs in English. So ignorance was a huge bliss. And yet we maneuvered our kids being there and yes, living a privileged kind of different life, but I have some very, very close Japanese friends. And then my husband, um, one of the, the signs of respect uh, is to bow. So when you see the emperor, you would bow, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, it's just part of their culture. And as we were leaving his whole office came out to the curb and we were in our little minivan on our way to the airport and his whole office came out to the curb and bowed like super low. And I, I was just in tears because they gave us so much more. And every time I go back, sometimes I route myself through Tokyo to have a night and I see these work individuals or I see um, old friends. That place, I think, because my kids changed so much, they were able to do public transport by themselves. They were able to kind of go to the grocery store with safety because it's, it's a utopian world there. It's just, it's clean and safe. And um, they got to learn how to be kids. Maybe what the United States was like in the fifties. So I'm so grateful to them. I have so much respect to Japan for what they gave my kids street smarts. And, um, and that brings back really good memories because it set a foundation for them 
that now, you know, they cruise around the world and they look at a metro map and they're like, oh, I can connect here, here, and here, and I can do this and do that. But it gave them street smarts. So that memory of these individuals bowing is humbling to me. And do your kids have any special memory of themselves? I mean, was there anything that they liked and they kind of like, oh, mom, why, why are we having to leave here? <laughs> or was there anything like that? Other than Disneyland or Universal Studios, but the, was there anything in specific that they, they kind of, they talk about a lot still now? Yeah, I, 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 for my family, food is everything. So we try, I mean, my son, he was in, um, gosh, I want to say Sri Lanka. I'm not quite sure where he was on a uh, trip with his school for swimming and he tried chicken's feet. And so for us, it's food. I think when we experience like really home cooked meal from that country back anywhere that we are, we're like, wow, that just brought me back to that moment that I was walking or I was sitting with a friend. So for us, it's certain foods that I think bring back the memories for us is really great um, food in Italy or great food in Spain or great food in Ireland. Um, It just, if we get a little taste of that, you're like, I mean, for me, I don't know what, what it was, but there was a little hole in the wall. I think it was called Good Foods there in Dublin. And they made the best eggs with like a toast with mushrooms on it. And my husband recreated it, not quite perfectly, but I was like, oh, that brought me back to that great breakfast. It's <laughs> so, always food. It is food for me. So. <laughs> Tell me this. I'm nosy and I'm not ignoring you, but I'm, I'm nosing at your website here at julianbosch.com. And your book, How a Mother Took a First Step on the Moon, A Mother's Keepsake Journal of Advice to My Children. So what can listeners expect from your book? Well, with my new occupation, it is to go forth and pivot your life, change it from what it was to what you're not satisfied with to live a more fulfilled life. And all of these travels all over the world have cemented little pieces of advice for my children. So what I did for my 50th birthdays, because I wanted to give them a gift instead of receiving a gift, I wrote all the pieces of advice that I would like my children to know if something was to happen to me. And they happen to be stories from our lives all over the world. And it gives a short story, a piece of advice, and a powerful journal question for parents to not do what I say, but to provoke thought in their head to think about what their intention is for parenting, especially mothers, because it's scary. It's scary to move to another country. It's scary to raise your kids, not knowing if that's the best school district, or if that's the best sports team that they should be on, because maybe they shouldn't even be playing soccer and they should be going to theater class. I don't know, but it makes a parent intentional. And that book was set out not only for my children, but to help maybe a new mother or a current parent that feels chaotic and they want a plan so it helps them plan and is is it like is it is it coming from your own experiences or is it laid out as a plan that same example they have a little blip and they kind of go okay what do I need to do in this situation do I do I talk to my mom do I talk to my sister do I talk to is is that what you mean well I I give funny uh, moments of things that happen to me in life for example I one of the stories is I happen to go to the gynecologist okay. <laughs> and please and do tell. My, yeah. And um 
it, the piece of advice is to um, not always assume, basically. And I went and this gynecologist was asking me quite strange questions. Lo and behold, I did not know that I had utilized a washcloth of my daughter's with glitter on it prior to my appointment to make sure that everything was cleaned up down there. Um, And so (laughs) I was looking like a rainbow. Gynecologist was quite expressive, like, wow, what a party fiesta down here, you know? And I thought he was strange. I thought he was strange. (laughs) And I came home and my daughter was in tears asking me, you know, where her washcloth was. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's the um, so I tell you that. And my piece of advice is a funny antidote that tells you a story that happens to me. My advice is don't always assume, you know, the facts and ask some more questions. And so then it asks you a question, what is important to you? Right. And it makes you kind of journal about that. And it's inside the book so that you can put down what is important as a mother for you. And then when something happens, you're prepared. That's a brilliant story. I mean, how did it end? I mean, did you go home? You have to think read we the were book. Weirdos? You have to read the book. Okay. I'll read the book then. It's, it's funny because <laughs> it is an interesting story. That was a moment where I didn't need the like, lot of conversation. So. You were just gone out the door. <laughs> I was I like, he is weird. He is strange. So. <laughs> That's very good. So if I have to read the book, where, where do we buy your book? It is located on my web page. You can get it at www.juliannebosk.com or you can get it on Amazon. So right there in Dublin, Spain, Japan, Mexico, it's all over the world. So and look you on your on- Amazon. Are you on all the uh, internet places such as the LinkedIn's and the Instagrams and all this I type of thing? I am. And what, what, is, what is it? Is it at Julian Bosch at LinkedIn or? Yes, yes, it well, is okay. with my name. Everything, if you just Google my name, it all comes up right under my name, B-O-S-C-H. Mm-hmm. What I'll do is I'll put all the links for that anyway before uh, when, we, when we release a podcast. So before we finish today, what words of encouragement can you give anyone who is kind of contemplating kind of making that move now. What, what would you say, knowing that you've been to 13 places, you've had different cultures, different experiences, you brought your kids with you, what would you say to them? Just go for it? I would say, what are you waiting for? That's because brilliant. you will never be, be given this opportunity again. Somebody is paying for you to explore the world. And they want you, obviously you have an expertise. They want you to go to that country to help that country's business. You're going there with an intention, an occupation. So go and just explore it, enjoy the moments and laugh a lot with your family. And that's what that book, How a Mother Took Her First Step on the Moon. I laughed at myself a lot because you can't control everything. So what are you waiting for? Well, it's been brilliant to chat with you today, Julianne. And uh, thanks so much, Julianne, for talking <laughs> today on the uh, Wellbeing and Career World podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me.